You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. And welcome, Reality Ohana. Thank you so much for joining us again for our digital house church here at Reality. Um, blessed to have you. Thank you for joining us. Um, as we, before we get into the Word of God and a few announcements here, I want to pause and continue our time of worship as we give our tithes and offerings. And I know that we're not giving them per se right now, that as you guys have uh, in your generosity given, it's been digital and throughout the week. But I just want to be mindful and just thank the Lord for this. Um, again, if you're interested to be a part of what God is doing and um, to to learn more about, about um, that at here at Reality, you can go to our Give page on the website. But I just want to thank the Lord for his provision and us being able to be a church and do all that we do and um, just how God's carried us and then pray for our time today. And so why don't you join with me as we do that? God, thank you so much for today. Once again, that we get to gather in homes safely with family and friends to gather around your word. And um, we just thank you for the means to do this, to be a church. We thank you for your provision and the way in which you've um, used your people to, to provide um, the resources and the means to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus here in Hawaii. And um, God, we thank you. We ask for, for, um, that you would continue to use these funds for the furthering of your kingdom and many would come to know you. And God, today as we celebrate our reminded of and study Palm Sunday, your triumphal entry into Jerusalem, I pray, Lord, that in the same way you were heralded as king then, that you would be exalted as king in our own lives, in our own hearts. And so would you speak to us through your word now? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Before we write, get into the word of God and Palm Sunday, as I just prayed. Um, speaking of that, right, today is traditionally Palm Sunday uh, that marks the start of Holy Week or Passion Week, which leads up to Friday, Good Friday, where we celebrate and reflect and remember Jesus' death upon the cross. Um, we are going to have a Good Friday service uh, streaming for you this Friday night, April 2nd, 7 p.m. Uh, the same way you're watching this, whether that's through our website or on Facebook or YouTube, you'll be able to do that as well. One note, I want to encourage you as you are safe, uh, feel safe and comfortable as you are able. I would love for you to make this a night where you invite others from the church over to your home and we as a church take communion together um, as we reflect upon the death of our Lord. And so please do that. I would love it if you would plan like, hey, Friday night, let's safely gather with some family friends, um, the re some of the other, those that go to church here with us. And you would get um, either bread or crackers or juice or wine together ready. And then we're going to take communion together. Even though it's digital, we're going to be spread out all over the island, but taking communion and remembering um, the Lord's death. So I'd love for you to join us for that 7 o'clock this Friday. And then Easter Sunday, 
right, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we are going to have an in-person or live stream of our Easter celebration. And so that's 10 a.m. April 4th. Uh, again, every, all this information is on the website, realityhonolulu.com. Um, but we do need you to RSVP for Easter to let us know how many of you are coming. Um, families are welcome. Kids are welcome. We're going to have a lot of fun and safely gather and exalt our risen Lord. And so I'd love to um, see you there. Or you can see uh, the rest of us online if you can't join us, which is totally cool too. Um, well, without further ado, we're going to get into our text today. Again, usually it's the book of Acts, but it's Palm Sunday, and um, we're going to look at Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, marking the start of Holy Week. And we're going to be looking at the accounts from Matthew chapter 21. Um, you can find it in all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, reading all four of them would probably be best for time's sake. We're going to just pick one and then pull in a few uh, details from the others and pull out some, uh, a few um, salient point f- points for us today. But why don't you read with me Matthew 21 verses 1 through, let's say 14. We'll go through 14 this morning. Uh, it says this. As they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his followers and his disciples, and came to Bethpage um, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. On a very large, uh, and a very large crowd spread their cloaks along the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Hence the idea of palm fronds, which we read in John 12, um, that it says that, but here's the idea of Palm Sunday here. Verse 9, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And then as Jesus entered the temple courts, he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Okay. So again, this is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And as you might already see or know, this is a really big deal for several reasons. 
And really what we see here, one commentator put it this way. We see Jesus being the confrontational king, the counterintuitive king, and the coming king. As we look at this text and see the significance of it, I believe those are some really, those are three really great parts of why this makes this event so significant. So the first is, is confrontational, right? So up to this point, if you've read the gospel accounts, when Jesus would heal someone or do a miracle, um, you, you may have thought it was weird that people would say, oh my goodness, you did that. I can't believe it. This is miraculous. Who are you? And he would always tell people to like, don't tell anyone about what just happened. Don't spread the news of what I'm doing really. Like keep it under wraps, which kind of is weird, right? Because you're like, Jesus, you should let everyone know what's happening. But he knew that if word got out too soon, right, that he was this self-proclaimed Messiah, son of God, savior to not only Israel, but to the whole world, that it would be so confronting. It was so confrontational that the leaders of the day would take action, which we'll see this week they do, right? Arrest, put on trial, and ultimately kill Jesus for this very thing. And so the time was not yet for him to be ushered in as the king, the Messiah, the savior of the world. The time was not yet, and he was keeping that under, the, under wraps. But if you were to turn just a chapter before to Matthew chapter 20, right before our text today, on their way to Jerusalem. Remember, it's the Passover, that one of the largest religious celebrations. Everyone from around the region would be traveling into Jerusalem through the roads. And there was these blind men that asked Jesus to heal him. And specifically, they call out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Heal us. Prior, Jesus would have said, hey, don't call me that, or hey, don't say that kind of thing. He would correct them or dismiss it. But in front of the crowds coming into Jerusalem, we see at the end of chapter 20 that he literally responds to them and says, he doesn't correct them, doesn't say anything. He says, sure, what do you want me to do for you? fully accepting that title of Lord, Son of David. And if you know anything about that introduction or the way in which they said that, Son of da Lord, Son of David is a messianic title reserved only for the coming Messiah that Israel had been waiting centuries for. And so as hundreds of thousands of Jews are traveling into Jerusalem, Jesus for the very first time, isn't correcting, accepting that title because the time is now to be ushered in as the king that he is. So the word is out. He makes a really big deal about it, right? He, he, he gets these, these animals and if you ever go or get a chance to go to Jerusalem, Right here where the story takes place, you can go on the Kidron Valley, on the Mount of Olives. You're entering into Jerusalem, and you can go to the very place where this happened. And so there's a large 
Crowds had gathered and they're throwing their coats along the road as if it's like a red carpet celebration. And he, he's, he's having all the attention and he's sitting and he's being ushered in as king. And, and they're even saying in our text today that they're crying out Hosanna to the son of David, right? Our Messiah, Hosanna there, uh, um, meaning save us like our redeemer, our rescuer, our king has come. Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the word is out. He's declaring himself king. The crowds are declaring himself king. And even there, he, gets into, he goes into the temple courts when he gets in and he starts overturning the tables because the temple that was to be a place of worship to God was now turned into a place of commerce and a place of, um, of obstacles and, and distractions and things that were getting in the way of the worship of God. And he comes in and he says, my house is to be called a house of worship. My house, the owner of the house, who you are worshiping, this is my place. I am king. And so rightfully so, this creates a huge stir, which ultimately ends with his death. This is confronting everything in that culture. Uh, every thought, every religious system was being confronted, and more or less, he was saying, you know, crown me or kill me. Worship me or don't. Like a line in the sand was being drawn. This was a public display. This was the first time where this was a public procession that he is the son of God, the promised Messiah had come. And again, just like we studied last week in the book of Acts, like Jesus here and like Paul there, the gospel, the person of Jesus is being displayed. And there's a question that needed to be asked then and there's a question that needs to be asked now. Who do we believe this Jesus is to be? Do we believe that he is the son of God or who do we believe him to be? One commentator said, as we read this story, as we read the gospels and the life of Jesus, that it either can be a work of madness. This is totally insane and crazy that you would even do these things. You would claim these things. This is either a work of madness or a blinding revelation to an eternal truth. Jesus is being confrontational. The confrontational king had come and it was shaking things up. And my question to us today is, who do we think Jesus is? And the truth is, is that if we do believe that Jesus is Lord and he's Savior, what scripture would tell us and what Jesus would tell us is that all our life is to be his. We're to be fully submitted, fully surrendered, that he's the king, he's in control, that he's not only our savior, that he's saved us from our sin, that he's restored a broken relationship with our creator, God. 
Not only that, but he's to be our Lord. The Lord that rules and reigns in our own life and over every part of our life. See, the gospel and Christianity and following Jesus is an all-in or an all-out thing. You're either for me or against me. Your entirety of life is mine or it's not. That's confrontational. That's confronting. And so in the same way Jesus was, was confronting their own life here in Jerusalem, 2,000 years later for us, he does the same. He's breaking into our own world. And the question that we need to answer, that we need to reconcile is, who do we believe Jesus to be? He's the confrontational king. He's confronting what we believe to be true about the world, who God is, who Jesus is. What does the cross and the resurrection mean for us? All these questions that this week and come Easter Sunday, we're asking, we're answering, we're discovering. Not only that, but the way in which Jesus entered this city is very counterintuitive. And what he ended up doing is very counterintuitive to what people thought he was going to do. See, for Israel at the time, they're under Roman rule and oppression. For them, the Messiah was going to free them from this political oppressor. It was going to give them peace once again. It was going to give them their freedom back. There was all these tangible national things that they were hoping and expecting the Messiah to do. And knowing anything about the Roman Empire, in order to free them from Roman oppression, there was no doubt in their mind that it was going to take like a military power to come in with force, with might, with weapons in order to free Israel from this oppressor. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't enter that way. See, normally, like a conquering king, how would you have a procession into a city as the victor? Well, you would be on a strong, you know, horse, a large animal with many, with, with many people also with you. There would be a show of force. There would be, you know, like soldiers and, and, and warriors and, and prominent people with you. And there would just be like a show of force. But very different than their expectations. He doesn't come on a large horse. He comes on a baby donkey. This is this, this, this lowly and humble savior. See, they were expecting him to come take power and kill, but really what he was doing was he was going to give up his power and die. Instead of like a military generals before them taking power and killing to, to gain control, rather he was the suffering lowly savior that was giving up his power he was giving up his power and he was dying on a cross. Not what they expected, not what they wanted, not what they desired for him to do. 
And I can only imagine, they're hailing him as king here. They must think it's really weird that you're doing it on a donkey unless you knew the prophecies before foretold this was going to happen. But he comes in, and by the end of the week, he's dead. They're king. This promised Messiah, who they're singing about, who they're declaring is the son of David. Like this title only for the Messiah. They've been waiting centuries and millennia for. By the end of this week, this is Palm Sunday, by Friday, that king, that same king is dead. For many, they thought all hope was lost and the story was over and they got it wrong. But as we know, that is not the case. See, Jesus had something else in store. What they wanted was temporary freedom, national freedom. They wanted things to change in their midst and who ruled them and who governed them and how their temporal lives were. And what Jesus came to do was far more than that. He came into that city, proclaimed as king. He would die on a cross. He would rise again. For what purpose? To restore humanity back to their God. To restore a broken relationship to that the sin of this world had come in and broken. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that abundantly and that eternal. I've come to give you far more than temporal freedom, but eternal peace with your creator, God. And you know, so many times, just like then, we too have our own expectations of what we want to get out of God. You know, so often we only go to God when we need something, especially if we don't know him, right? If we have a tragedy or something's really hard or at our breaking point, we say, God, I'll do this if you just help me. Like we come to God in our lowest points as if he's, you know, just, just to give us things. And we have a lot of expectations and desires, what we desire from God, what we want from God. But so often we don't get those things or God does something different or God something always God does something more. And the, the truth is, is that God is going, always going after our heart and the root of the issue. See, God is always going after our hearts and our relationship with him. And he sent his son as the savior of the world, die on a cross in order to fix the root of the problem, which is the sin and the penalty of our sin deserved death. But Jesus stepped in as a substitute and paid that price for us so that it would satisfy the debt accrued against our God and it would restore a broken relationship. And so God wants way more for our lives than we expect from him. <clears throat> way more than those tangible temporal things that we ask of him. He wants to go, he wants to give us exceedingly abundantly more and he wants to go to the heart and the root to restore you wholly and completely back to the way you were designed. 
That is very counterintuitive though. The way in which Jesus comes and the way in which he lives, um, lays down his life. The way that he's a servant of all. This humble, lowly savior that didn't come to take power by killing, but by giving power and dying. And lastly, what I believe the triumphal entry, the significance of it does is, is it points out this was his first coming, but he's coming back again a second time. The second coming of Christ to rule and reign once and for all and set everything that's broken, every temporal thing that's broken, the sin, the evil, the consequences of that, the death, the disease, you name it. He's coming to restore once and for all. See, in our story today, they thought that was happening for them right then and there. That the Messiah was going to come and put everything right. But again, the reality was he was coming back to restore humanity back to God. But there's two symbolic things in our text today that point to a coming to a second coming and to a kingdom that is coming that is going to set everything right in the world as well. And those two, two things are, one is that the palm fronds, again, which we don't get directly here in Matthew, but we do in John, these palms and specifically the donkey. See, when they cry out in our text today, the crowds, when they see Jesus and when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That idea of blessed be is the same idea of the Hebrew word shalom, which, mean, which means shalom meaning that everything is thriving and flourishing and at peace and, how, and back to how it's made to be in God's design. Right, as they're heralding the Messiah, they're saying, bring us shalom, bring us Peace in a way that God designed, where God designed it where nothing in all of creation is even out of order. Right? Even this idea of palm fronds, there's some, there's some imagery here that's connected even to the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah, right? Isaiah, um, excuse me, Psalm 96, 11 through 13 says, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. First, uh, and then Isaiah 55 kind of carries this idea that even creation when it's fully restored, is going to be worshiping the Lord in, in, in this perfect harmony, right? Isaiah 55 verse 12 says something very similar to Psalm 96. It says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Again, this may be metaphorical here, you know, maybe. 
But when the true king comes, even everything in nature will be restored. And even it says here, even the trees itself will be dancing. You see, when sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, everything was in perfect harmony. Not only humans, but animals and nature worked and existed um, perfectly. And sin has got in and ripped apart the fabric of God's design. And in every way possible, uh, this world around us is marred. And it's out of sync with God's harmony and peace. As we know, the, the, the world is not at peace. It is not at rest. It is not acting how God designed it to be. But there is hope that the king is going to come back and restore perfect shalom even to nature itself. And even with the fact that these palm fronds are being laid out before Jesus here points to a time where that king riding down that road to Jerusalem one day will come back and even nature, all of creation will be restored back to how it was supposed to. How beautiful is that? Right, that one day that God will come back and he'll rule and reign and he'll restore all things how they were and all the temporary evils will be gone and done away with. Guys, can you imagine what we're looking forward to is that heaven and earth, there'll be no sickness no disease, no starvation, no oppression, no racism, and every other kind of even evil, even death itself, will be done away with forever. We see the kingdom being ushered in, but it will be fully consummated when he comes back a second time and sets everything right forever. That is the hope we have in the coming king, in the king that came and the king that's coming. And lastly, even the very donkey, even the very donkey he rode, the baby donkey that Jesus was riding, not only was it fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, Zechariah 9.9, but even just think about that. Like I, 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 I heard one commentator say, I think it's significant that you just, you just can't jump on this wild animal that you don't know, that's not trained, you jump on this animal, you're controlling this animal, and then you're riding through a yelling crowd. You cannot just do that with any type of animal, right? Uh, um, you can't just jump on something and take off, and especially a baby donkey through a yelling crowd. But in the midst of this, right, this, this unbroken animal is completely calm because the king that is riding upon it, even controls the very creation. The land and the sea and the plants and the animals and humanity is all controlled by this king that sits upon this baby donkey here in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. You see, because Jesus is Lord of all and nothing but harmony and peace come about under his hand. Again, this is all a foreshadowing of the future kingdom that will restore all forever. 
And also in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, we get this rather strange but amazing image of how when Jesus comes back again to restore everything and renew creation and free the world from sin forever, there's this radical picture of how we will interact with animals. And it is very foreign than what we know now, but one day God's rule and reign will permeate every piece of the universe and sin will be no longer. And uh, this is what a picture of um, the idea of that harmony or shalom will look like. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9 says, In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. What Palm Sunday does is not only show us this confrontational and counterintuitive king, but he shows us the coming king. It points to uh, the coming king. And so what Palm Sunday tells us is this, is that it declares the need for a personal relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior tells us this. It declares this. It shows us who Jesus is and his plans and his purposes for us and his design for us to be with him and declare him king over our own life as Lord and Savior who died and rose again forgiving our sins. What it also does is it shows us that not only that, but that God cares about this world. He cares about its brokenness and he desires to see it fixed, but not by power, but by love and humility and care and goodness and grace. Right? He desires the pain in this world to be fixed, but not by power and not by might, but by humility and love and grace and by himself. And if we get a picture of what this world will be in its full renewal. And we know about the things that God cares about. Then my exhortation for us today is do the very things that God cares about. Be in the midst of the brokenness in this world and be used by God to see renewal start coming. We weren't going to see it perfect. It's not going to fix everything. But the people of God, you and I, God wants to use us as agents of renewal to see kingdom come here now. It won't fully come until he comes back, but he does desire to fix its brokenness. And so church, this is the king that we serve. I want to encourage you, if you know him, to worship him now as your king. And if you don't, 
I want to encourage you to wrestle with that question of who do you say Jesus is? Because the Bible tells us he's a humble, loving king that went to die on our behalf that desires to have a relationship with him and desires to have a relationship with you to give you hope and life now abundantly and life eternal. Let's, let's uh, spend this next time worshiping our king. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truths that today reminded us of that you are King Jesus, that you uh, came not only to fix temporal problems, but ultimately to restore a broken relationship with our creator, God. God, even this week, as we reflect on the cross and the resurrection And the days leading up, I pray that it would be a really potent, powerful time of us spending time with you and remembering what you did for us. And I pray in advance for Good Friday and Easter that you would get glory, God, that many would come to know you, that your name would be exalted here in Hawaii as it is in heaven. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.